Well, as Casey said, my name is Barry Kraft, and I am one of the community group leaders here at C3. I'm also one of the uh, part-time musicians. I get a chance to play bass with a band every once in a while. And I've got to tell you, this is a uh, tremendous difference in being up here this morning doing this, as opposed to walking off the stage about right now. <clears throat> a few months ago, Casey and I were standing at the back of the church one Sunday morning before the sermon began, and he was talking about his upcoming summer schedule. He was talking about how busy he was going to be with some speaking engagements, as well as some personal travel with his family. And in somewhat of a joking manner, I looked over at him and I said, hey, if you need somebody to speak for you one Sunday morning, let me know. Now, if you ever decide to make that kind of statement or that kind of request to Casey, be prepared for the answer, okay? Because he said, okay, you've got Father's Day. And so we were about three weeks out from that, and I said, okay, well, that's time to prepare, and so I had prepared for it. And then I made a really bad decision on the Monday night prior to Father's Day. I was out playing softball with some of you guys, and we were over at the park, and I had just got a hit, and I was standing on third base. Next ball hit, I decided I'm taking off for home. And so I started running home, and I seen the catcher catch the ball up high. So I said, that's okay, because I'm going under him anyway. And I did. I went under him. And when I did, the right foot caught in the soft dirt and turned the foot the wrong way. I broke my ankle in about three places. So here comes my son Logan and one of his buddies, and they're carrying me off the field, and I'm under, under their arms. And I distinctly remembered looking over at John Fox and said, John, I'm still good for Sunday, because all I've got to do is stand up there anyway. And, of course, all John seen was the foot dangling at the uh, bottom of the leg. So we, we rescheduled, and uh, I tell you, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be up here to stand before you this morning. Casey asked me to, do, you know, to tell you a little bit about my story and to talk to you about some of the experiences we've had as parents and, uh, and uh, being married for, for as long as we have. He said, you know, you are one of the older couples here, and that's a term that I'm still getting used to as being one of the older couples, so I'm not sure I'm there yet. But, you know, I put a picture up here for you because, guys, I just got to tell you, you know, more than 30 years ago, I met the sweetest and the prettiest little girl you've ever seen in your life. But unfortunately, life happened, and we ended up going our separate ways for a few years. But as fate would have it, we ended up crossing paths again, and I swore then that I would never let her get away. And this coming December, we will celebrate our 29th year of marriage. <clears throat> we have three kids. This, this other beautiful blonde up here is our oldest daughter, Rebecca. You know, I'm so proud of her. You know, the Sundays that she's here, that's great. But when she's not, you know, she's off taking care of little babies over at the NICU unit at Methodist Hospital. But she's married to Derek, and they have blessed our lives with two great children, two grandchildren for us. And uh, we love the time that we get to spend around them. You know, Jax is kind of the uh, quiet one that can play by himself. And Emmy is not. She's... she's uh, She's high octane. And then this was a very special day because our daughter in the middle, this was, this was last fall when she got married. That's Lacey. She lives up in Lubbock and she's married to Dustin. And then they told us just a few weeks ago that we would be grandparents again. So come April, we will have a third grandchild. Then there's this good looking guy up on the end. And then down at the other end is the other good looking guy. That's our son, Logan. He's the one that just made us empty nesters. And, you know, a lot of people say, man, he looks just like you. And they thank you because he's a good looking boy, I tell you. He is. You know, I wanted to tell you a little bit about myself. And, and I wanted to, of course, share some things about my family. You know, I gave my life to Christ when I was 16 years old. And, 
And that's when I became a Christian, you know, for the next few years going through high school. You know, I was very connected to my youth group and very connected to a very good group of friends through school. And I stayed as close in my walk with the Lord as I possibly could. A few years after high school, you know, I started making some decisions that I'm not proud of. But, you know, God was gracious to me. God still loved me. My sins were still forgiven. And he wanted me, you know, to, to change my ways. And I did. And, and you know, for, for the better part of the last 20 or so years, I've had the opportunity to lead small groups, whether it's community groups, life groups, traditional Sunday school classes, because we want to have a part in helping people and helping people to grow. And uh, that's what uh, we've been able to do. When we came here four and a half years ago, I remember walking in here and hearing that big booming radio voice of Casey's. And I thought, man, this guy's good. He sounds good. I should probably apologize right now because I'm on the opposite end of that. This redneck dialect of mine will come out from Alabama, okay? But we've been, Casey's, uh, we've been in Casey's community group now for a couple of years, and we've had a, the chance to lead that with him, and uh, we love that. One of my goals today is to be able to pour into your lives as parents and as married couples, obviously. Um, Kim and I have been married now for, for 28 years, over 28 years. We've raised three kids. We certainly don't have all the answers We've made a lot of mistakes along the way, uh, but fortunately for us, we continue to learn, okay? As of four weeks ago, Logan uh, moved out and made us empty nesters. We knew for some time that, that that was coming, and so that took preparation. To become an empty nester takes a lot of preparation. It was very natural when Rebecca left the house being our oldest. We were in San Antonio at the time, and you know she went to University Incarnate Word, private school, only a 15-minute drive. She didn't get to live in a dorm, didn't get to live in an apartment, so she only had a 15-minute drive. So she lived with us up until the time she got married and moved out. That was very natural. And then Lacey came along. We knew that she would be going off to Lubbock to, to be a Red Raider. And Kim and I start thinking, you know, we have to really be prepared for these upcoming years because time flies. Lacey would be gone and then Logan would be gone. And then it's just going to be the two of us left. So we started going through some community group studies with, with the folks that we were with in San Antonio, people who were at that same stage of life, just to try to better prepare ourselves for what those years uh, were going to be like uh, ahead. So my goal today is just to tell you some of the things that works in our life and to share with you some things that works for us. And just because it works for us doesn't mean that you know, I want to force you know, my thoughts and, and, and my advice upon you, but some of these things may actually uh, work for you as well. I'm focusing today on relationship building, and that's relationship building at home. I trust, first of all, that you already have a relationship with Christ, because first and foremost, that is the most important thing. That's the most important decision you could ever make, is, is to have a relationship with Jesus and to trust in Him as your Savior. Outside of my faith in Christ, you know what? That's the center of my universe right up there. And taking care of them and helping them and teaching them and learning, uh, learning along the way with them. If you've got your Bible, if you would, open it up to Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 29. We'll put the uh, verses up here for you as well. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy or set apart for God and blameless. Even so, husbands should and are morally obligated to love their own wives as their own bodies. He, he who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own body, but instead he nourishes and protects and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church. If I were to wrap that all up in you know, one simple statement, what that means to me, it would mean that I need to seek the highest good for Kim and surround her with a caring and an unselfish love. You know, one of the greatest compliments we ever had was from a, fr a friend of ours, and through social media, she sees some of the posts that we make. And you know what, Kim and I really enjoy our date nights, and we go out a lot, and we post lots of pictures. But she made this comment back to me. She said, you guys sure do make marriage look easy. And she was going through a storm in her own life because she was married to a man who was making some decisions that was not going to be good for their marriage. And in the end, they ended up separating and going separate ways, obviously. But she said, you guys sure do make marriage look easy. Well, folks, I'm here to tell you what, that it's, marriage is not easy. Marriage is work. Ask Kim. She's married to me in all my quirky little ways. It's much harder for her than it is for me. But marriage requires a lot of work. We seek to continually grow in our relationship with Jesus so that our marriage is a reflection of His goodness and grace. And at the same time, we want to set a good example for our children. We want to set a good example for our friends. We want to be a good example to you as well. The Bible also tells us in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I'll underline that part so that my prayers may not be hindered. You see, this verse tells me that if I don't honor Kim and, and, and show understanding, that my prayers will be hindered. I'm to be considerate to her, and I'll tell you what that means to me. What I need to be doing is, is stop any of those little irritating, irritating habits, uh, uh, quirky little ways that I have. I need to stop all that. I need to be able to help with all the heavy lifting at home and honor her with that. When she pulls up into the garage from, from the grocery store, not sit there on the couch and wait till the groceries are brought in the house. Get out there and go help her. Help do the heavy lifting. See, if I'm truly understanding like this passage says I'm to be, then I'll recognize when it's time to help out instead of wait to be told or wait to be asked to help out. That's not a good place to be. Okay? You see, I honor Kim by helping her. And failing to help her means that I'm disobeying the Scriptures, and that's sin. And that could result in my prayers being hindered. You know, another thing, that honoring my wife and helping her and showing understanding, well, that's an example that I want my kids to be able to see at the same time. So over the years, we've had people to invest in our life and teach us, and today that's what I want to be able to, uh, to do with you. And I've brought about four things that I really wanted to talk to you about today. I had a top five list, I really did, until I timed myself early this week, and I realized we weren't going to beat the Methodist or anybody else to lunch. So I had to cut it back just a little bit. My wife said, you really need to put a timer on yourself when you go up to talk. And so uh, I've done that this morning. Okay. But here's the first one. And this is something that really my grandpa taught to my dad. My dad taught to me. And I try to teach the same thing to my kids. It's called teaching the qualities of chivalry. I mean, we don't even know what the word, some of us don't even know what the word chivalry means. Okay but it is something my parents taught me. I and mean, if you were to look up chivalry in the dictionary, you know what a dictionary is? I'm sorry, Google it then. But it's gallantry, it's courtesy, it's honor, it's making a choice to do the right thing at the right time for the right person for the right reasons. It's also about protecting. That's, that's another thing that my dad taught me as well. He said, you protect those around you as well. Protect those who can't protect themselves. You know, I look at, you know, I look at my son and he's like this 20-year-old version of my dad. I see that same type person. Nicest guy. So here's the thing about my dad. Okay, and I want to talk about him just a little bit. He poured into my life in a way that 
people might not just understand because it wasn't just this, sit down, son, let me give you all this instruction. It was more like, watch my life and the way I treat people without having to tell me to watch his life. Because he's the type of person that would befriend those who didn't have friends. He would try to take care of the people who needed help that others, other folks just kind of want to steer away from. There was this one young man that he, was, he continually tried to help him. And he bought him meals and he gave him small jobs so the guy could make money and uh, try to live his life. But in the end, he still ended up making wrong decisions and took his life instead. But that's the kind of people that my dad really tried to pour into. No one ever messed with his family. Remember, nicest guy in the world, very Christ-like in his approach with people. But at the same time, he watched over and he protected his family as well. And there's a couple of verses that I think of when I, when I think about my dad. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Be forgiving of one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, what I want to do for my kids and what I hope that you know, you're doing for yours is teaching our kids to be polite. We can call it chivalry if you want to. I was just looking for a good word. But teaching our kids to be polite. It's dads teaching sons to, to open the doors uh, for, for, their, for their girlfriends. Well, not my wife, his girlfriend. Clarify that. But it's teaching them just to do the right things, but at the same time to help watch over and take care of people. I've watched Logan over the years. He doesn't let anyone bully his friends either. He watches out for them. Again, nice as he can possibly be and tough. And I'm reminded, I, was with, I uh, went to see my dad one time. They live in Alabama, but I went to see him one time and I noticed he had this pretty big scar across his forehead. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what in the world happened. He didn't want to tell me about it. So I kept pushing and pushing and pushing until I finally got him to tell me the story. See, my dad walked out of a grocery store late one night. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And um, his truck is always parked in the back of a parking lot. Why? Doesn't want anybody to ding the door. So he parks out at the back of a parking lot. So here he goes out across the parking lot about 10 o'clock at night. And on his way out there, he notices there's a couple of young guys uh, who are out there messing around his truck. He's not the type of guy that's just going to turn around and go back in. So he goes out there, tries to get in his truck, and he just hears a couple of guys saying, hey, man, give us a ride somewhere. And he's like, no, nah, guys, I, I've got to get on home. It's getting late tonight. No, nah, come on, man, give us a ride. What they were wanting to do is they were wanting to take his truck from him that night. So as he reached for the door to try to get in, he notices out of the corner of his eye, one guy rares back to hit him. So he jumps back. He, that's, where he, that's how he took that glancing blow across his forehead. And dad's an older guy at this point, okay? Here's a couple of 20-somethings that are going to try to take his truck from him at night. So dad's in a position up against his truck where he's just taken a blow across the head. And the only maneuver he has at that time is to come straight up with that pair of cowboy boots that he wears. Lifted perpetrator number one off the ground. He grabs himself, goes to the floor, and he's on the parking lot holding himself. Subject number two decides, I get him. And he lunges at my dad. And unfortunately for him, this big old barrel-chested guy of my dad has a fist that's you know, it's about that big around. His right hand meets the center of the face of the other young man who is trying to uh, take his truck. So he goes to the, to the ground, and my dad, being the nice guy that he is, he doesn't send him off to jail. He helps the first one up, says, take your buddy now, and y'all get on out of here. Go on home. So I kind of cleaned up the ending for that just a little bit since we're here at church, okay? 
But see, that's, that's just, that's my dad. He's tough as, he's tough as nails, but absolutely the nicest guy in the world and displays this Christ-likeness in his approach with people. Okay? Number two, using the smartphone intelligently. Guys, I got to tell you, this is one of the greatest devices that we've ever had. Okay? But at the same time, it's one of the worst that we have as well. Have you ever been out to a restaurant and seen a family trying to have dinner together. Here's the husband over here. We're, we've been guilty, okay? But here's the husband over here. He's checking his email, going through that. Wife's over there. She's on Pinterest. She's pinning, seeing what's on it. Here's every kid sitting around the table. They're Snapchatting. Here's a whole family sitting around the table, supposed to be out to dinner together, and it doesn't just happen while they're out. It happens at home as well. Like I said, we've been guilty of the exact same thing. We've lost that art of conversation. We get so wrapped up in this that we fail to think about the time that we need to spend with our family. So we've tried to even set some rules for ourselves. Kim and I are, are even guilty of it sometime. We'll catch ourselves being out on date night, and here, here we are. Both of us have our smartphones out looking at those. So we've tried to set some rules for ourselves. But there's another issue that I really wanted to talk about with a smartphone and the, and the use of it in an intelligent way. You see, I asked a couple of pastors what was the number one issue that they had when it came to counseling couples. The number one issue. Now, the number one issue that most pastors have in counseling couples is the use of pornography. And unfortunately, that's where the smartphone has really, that's why I see it's such a terrible device is, as well. Because it's not so much being on the home computer anymore. It's, it's having the use of the cell phone, the, the smartphone, because you, be, you can hide and you can, everywhere you go, you can take it with you. But, I, you know, I started looking you know, up some, some statistics about, about pornography. And here's some things that I found. On average, 40 million Americans view pornography on a regular basis, with the overwhelming majority of those being men. Okay. There's over 4.2 million pornographic websites out there, and this results in over a 13 billion, that's billion with a B, it's a $13 billion industry in the United States. And approximately 90% of men have viewed pornography on the internet through either their PC or their smartphone. 70% of men from the ages of 18 to 34 visit a pornographic website each month. And folks, I'll just tell you, the church is not immune to this problem. It's really not. 51% of pastors who have, been, who have gone through the survey have said that pornography is a possible temptation. 37% say it's a struggle, pornography is. And then 57% of pastors say that porn addiction is the most sexually damaging issue to their congregation. And then here's another thing, almost half 47% of all Christian families say that pornography is a problem. It's the number one temptation facing all men, according to a study that's published by All Pro Dad. You know, Matthew 5.28 says, Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, here, here's the thing about pornography. You have to consider the, the effects that it has on a marriage. Okay? Remember, it creates ridiculous expectations because you have to think about pornography. It's an entertainment industry performed by actors. Okay, So when you fill your mind with the false images of pornography, it's going to lead to disappointment. It's also going to lead to self-esteem issues. Pornography destroys people. 
And the true passion that should exist between a husband and wife is actually nullified when one of those spouses is addicted to pornography. You know, 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul warned the church to stay away from all sexual immorality. Pornography would be included in that today. He said, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. You see, when pornography takes hold in a marriage, there's this loss of trust, there's, a lo- there's this loss of intimacy, and when a man is addicted to pornography, the wife still views it as cheating. She still feels as if she's been cheated on. She feels as though she's not good enough. She feels like she's not attractive enough. And that's the effect it, it can have on, on your wife. Continuing to do so, continuing to, to be involved in pornography, it's going to erode the trust that you have in a marriage. It's going to create shame. It's going to create emptiness. And it's going to cause an emotional separation that exists between a husband and wife. I'll leave you with this on, on this point. If it's a struggle in your marriage, I'll tell you one thing. See somebody about it. Get help. Talk to our pastor. Talk to an elder. Talk to a community group leader. But the bottom line is, get help with it. It's a struggle. It's real. And, it, and it's happening uh, all around us. I'm going to lighten up a little bit and get past that one now, okay? Here's a third one I want to talk about. And um, this, is, this is something we've been doing, Kim and I have been doing for a lot of years, and, that, and that's going out on a date on a weekly basis. So number three is date your, date your wife on a weekly basis. Why? First of all, because it's fun. It's, the things, it's what I did back when I was trying to convince her to marry me in the first place. We went out on a date on a week-in and week-out basis, Okay. And it's easy to come up with excuses why people don't date, why married couples don't date, right? The excuses are never-ending. It costs too much. We don't have a babysitter. We're too busy. We're doing stuff with the kids. We're tired. But the real scary one is, is that we've, we've, we've kind of lost touch. Guys, I would, have put my, I would have put my busy schedule up against anybody. There was a time in our life where, you know, when I was coaching baseball, that four nights a week we were on a baseball field. We'd take one night off. Uh, to go to a Friday night football game because we had another daughter that was dancing on the sidelines uh, with a dance team. And then we, then we were tied up going to choir concerts at the same time. Kim and I were looking for that one night a week that we could still connect and, and go out on a date night. And, and sometimes it was a lot of work, but we, um, we did so. One of the reasons we did this is because we had already heard of all the statistics. Do you remember how tough those first couple of years of marriage are? There's financial issues and there's all kinds of things that we have to deal with. Those first couple of years of marriage are tough. But it, when, you, when you get to about five years of marriage, all of a sudden the divorce rate starts declining. And things settle down a little bit. But then if you make it all the way out to 25 years of marriage, all of a sudden the divorce rate starts spiking again. The reason for that is, is that couples have not spent enough time connecting with each other. Many of you much younger than us. Many of you much younger than us. You think you've got all the time in the world. You've got small kids and you're involved in their activities. Start early on in going out on those date nights. Kim and I did to the point where, you know, here's three kids at home that, that we're trying to, you know, the oldest is trying to watch the other two and they're, they're text messaging us. And finally, I get to the point where I'm saying, if the house is not on fire, stop text messaging us. We will be home in a couple of hours, and somebody's probably in trouble. Okay, we've been through all of that. 
And they were in trouble. Logan tells me, you know, Logan holds a grudge. He says, man, you come home one time and spank me, and I'm not even the one that did anything. So he got spanked for it. You see, kids are a top priority for us. We need to, they need our love. They need our encouragement. They need our involvement in their lives. But not to the point where they don't see mom and dad connecting and taking that one night a week out. And so we, I encourage you to, to do that. I, I, you know, regardless of what your schedule looks like, find a time to get out and to, uh, to go out on a date night every week. You're going to set a great example for, you, for your kids, one thing. They know they're important to you, but they also need to see how important your relationship uh, is together. Okay? Dating does not have to be expensive. Go to the mall, walk around, hold hands if you have to. Do some window shopping. We still enjoy doing the things that we used to do. We like to go to a movie. We like to, to go out to dinner. We enjoy doing that. But bottom line is, stop making excuses and start going back and doing the things that you used to do anyway. And here's the last one I want to talk about this morning. Be a spiritual leader in the home. You see, Solomon's advice in Proverbs 22.6 is, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. You see, raising a child in this context means teaching them, correcting them, disciplining them, and training them appropriately. Training a child in the way they should go, first and foremost, means pointing them towards Jesus. And if you want your children to be grounded in the Word, then they need to see you grounded in the Word. Look for a time to have your daily quiet time or your, your devotion time. Okay, I, I like early, I, myself. Jesus did it early. He, 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 you've got to figure out what works for you. Mark, 1, Mark 135 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, He left the house, He went off to a solitary place, where he prayed, and he didn't have a Starbucks on the way to it. Okay? He didn't have to have his coffee to do so. So my advice is start your day with prayer. Depend on God for the strength that you need each day. Pray for those opportunities to, to pour into your child's life, to make a difference, to encourage them in some way, to show them how much you love them. But also at the same time, start your day off with prayer because you're going out into the workplace and you're going to be surrounded by people. Look for the opportunities that exist to pour into someone else's life, to encourage them, to give them some kind of encouragement because everybody around you at some point is going to go through some type of storm and they need our help. So look for the opportunities to pour into their life uh, all at the same time and depend on God for the strength that He's going to give you. Start your little ones off early. Tell them Bible stories very early on. Um, you know, my, my daughter Rebecca and her husband Derek do a great job of teaching their kids and, and uh, they read Bible stories to them. And uh, I included a quick little 20-minute uh, video, 20-second video, not 20-minute video. Look at this quick little video. That's 1 Corinthians 2.9. And you notice she had to be restrained in the, in the seat at Target in order to, for, us to get the, for them to get the video of her uh, quoting 1 Corinthians 2.9. If she's not constrained, she's turning flips while she's trying to tell you that verse as well. But see, the most important decision you can, you, you can help your child to make is to help them to follow Christ. One day we had the, you know, we've had the opportunity to see all three of our children uh, trust Christ as our Savior. Rebecca, our oldest, she did it while in vacation Bible school when we were in Columbia, Tennessee. And then our second child, Lacey, we actually, uh, uh, she came to Christ, you know, on her knees right beside her bed. Kim and I on each side of her. We prayed with her and she accepted Christ. Logan kind of did the same thing when he was young as well. Prayed on his knees uh, in his bedroom with, with his mom and I right beside him. And then I had that added privilege of being able to baptize him. Folks, I don't usually mind uh, speaking uh, in, in front of people. 
but absolutely the most nervous I have ever been in my life was the morning that I had to say about three sentences to try to get through his baptism. We've got, we've got video of that, and uh, I still watch how nervous I was doing that. Maybe it was just the whole gravity of the situation. But we've had that opportunity to, to see all three of our kids uh, come to know Christ. And now what we want to continue to do is help them to grow, help them to now start pouring into the lives of their kids and, and to grow as well. You know, because of God's goodness and His grace, I have this opportunity to share my life with Kim. And our family uh, of five is, is growing now. God has smiled on me. He's given me two great son-in-laws who, who, uh, who love my daughters and uh, take care of them. Uh, we've got the two grandkids that, you know, that we, we just adore. And we love to get them all jacked up on ice cream before we send them home. Um, but you know what? It, there, there's more to life than just being a good dad. You see, first of all, we need to be connected to God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost most important to me. You see, I love my family. Love unto death. They're truly a gift from God. But there's no greater gift than the gift of salvation that's provided to us by the death of our Savior on the cross. That's first and foremost the most important thing that we can, every decision we can ever make. You see, we all deserve, we all sin, we all deserve condemnation. But Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins so that we could experience forgiveness. And in Jesus, we are forgiven for all of our sins, our past, our present, and our future. 